podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so it's after game week eight and we're back. It's a bit of a different pod this week, not for you guys listening, it should hopefully be around the same, but because of the fact it's our 50th podcast and we're streaming this one live to an audience, probably consisting of our mothers on multiple accounts, let's be fair. Nick, how are you? Very good, thank you, Tom. Yep, excited to be online for our 50th pod and also proud to get to it. We must be doing something right. Anyway, <laughs> just to say quickly, of course, we are Who Got The Assist. You can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL and you can use Spotify, SoundCloud or wherever you like to listen and subscribe. So what are we talking about today, Tom? We're going to focus in on the fixture turn after the international break and think about how we can attack the next block of four fixtures between game weeks 9 and 12 before the final international break of the year. So let's start with the game week reviews quickly, Tom. How did you get on? Uh, I actually have a decent one this week, Nick. I am... I don't know what's happened to me. I seem to have become characterised as a bit of a patient FPL manager, which is against form. That's unusual, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. You know what they say, like, someday, someday it's going to be fine. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I've got two free transfers. I resisted the Harry Kane urge, and the you know, hell cheaters always cheating were in, in London on Friday. And I think because of that, like, I was away from uh, Twitter, I was away from social media. I think that, like, that kind of saved me in some ways from being tempted to make, to kind of get Harry Kane in, right? As it was... Eden Hazard got me points, you know, Doherty, 15-pointer, Richarlison as well. But, you know, the full stack of clean sheets really helped. The Edison random bonus, I don't know where that came from, helped. Robertson was on the bench, like I should have benched Walcott, but I can't complain too much, like up to 255k. Uh, so the comeback from missing Kun in game week two continues for me. And, uh, yeah, it's nice to go into the, into the international break, like not having made a horrendous kind of mistake. It would have been so 20... 16 17 so, so 20 17, 18, 18 tom yeah. yeah to have uh, made that sort of error wouldn't it to get kane in and just be like fuming throughout the international break with like a 50 pointer but yeah no it is it's refreshing shall we say how about you yeah you did very well for a rare change so i scored uh, <laughs> i scored 68 points which was 18 above the average i guess that's a pretty decent week to be honest i mean the star men for me with the Wolves defenders again, 24 points from Doherty and Patricio. And that's now 46 in uh, two game weeks for that double act that only costs 8.9 million. Um, it was almost a full house for me actually at the back with a Trippier, seven pointer, six for Alonso. And the only sort of error there was my decision to play Wan-Bissaka ahead of Robertson, which was a oh, bit of a dodgy one. Um, elsewhere, I guess in my team, it wasn't that rosy. He hasn't got his 14 pointer, but I didn't captain him. Um, Salah blanked Madison and Kane um, blanked as well I was just shouting at Kane you know is this it when he just got his one pointer but I mean the only saving grace I guess was that the men I sold uh, David Silva and Aguero blanked too so the difference I guess between me and you this game week was the was the hazard captaincy uh, considering you outscored me by 14 points and if I captained hazard I'd have got a uh, 28 and equaled you but I went with Kane luckily Aguero blanked and got one pointer as well so it wasn't too painful yeah, I mean, we'll have some questions for you specifically on what you're going to do with Kane later on. But no, um, it was. It sounds like yeah, it's your first kind of captain blank of the season. But you know, I'm due one now. Uh, if if we can ever say anything's due in FPL anymore, uh, because you know, eight in a row, I've kind of I've nailed the captain at least, despite not kind of getting the Kuniguero explosion in game week two. Right. Uh, let's move on to our kind of main talking point today. It's a fairly meaty one, and today's focus is perhaps more on the little guy. Uh, so last time we looked fantastic for players and also Sterling, which made us look at those kind of teams a lot more as well 
this time, you know, we're going to look at kind of the, for the next block of four teams who have a favourable fixture list and maybe kind of how we best attack those fixtures and the, the assets and the teams we may be looking at and giving each a little rating. Uh, I think increasingly, Nick, it's worth uh, looking at these kind of blocks in between international breaks and other breaks. We think it may be good practice over Christmas to look at games and phases and how we may attack this in the near future. So, yeah, we're going to cut this into sections. We're going to talk about clubs with two good fixtures, three good fixtures and four out of four. And we'll have a look at their key players and uh, some team stats as well, just to help you out in your decision making. Should we start with Bournemouth then, Nick? I know you've had a little look at these guys uh, already. Yeah, for sure. So Bournemouth um, have got Southampton up next at home. Then they play Fulham. Then they've got Manchester United. Then they play Newcastle. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they're playing Man U, but the other three are, are pretty decent fixtures. Bournemouth have been smashing this season so far. They've scored 16 goals, four fights in the Premier League. And they're playing fifth worst of defence, then the worst in terms of goals conceded. Then United have actually conceded 14 goals and then the fourth worst defence, Newcastle. But in total, they've actually made 99 goal attempts, which is the second best goal conversion percentage in the entire Premier League with 16.2. Bournemouth are just a really interesting one. Like, the more you look into them, like watching them, it's very tidy football, isn't it? It's very incisive passing. And in kind of football manager parlance, they focus on working the ball into the box. I've got a good stat for you, Nick. Bournemouth are currently seventh behind the big six for touches inside the penalty box of 193, which is just seven less than Arsenal Man United. Interestingly, Man City are top with a man with 348 touches in the penalty box. Chelsea at 245 and Liverpool at 243 have over 100 less touches. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty mind-blowing with the City number. But Bournemouth being there is quite interesting. Like, though seventh last year too, Southampton were randomly sick. Talking about Bournemouth, I guess we've got to look in the context of there being you know, that 10-man game week for Watford last week in which they ran riot. Fraser, uh, Wilson and, and Josh King are, are the guys to be looking at. Should we start off with the midfielders then, Nick? Yeah, for sure. So I mentioned Ryan Fraser. Obviously, there's also uh, David Brooks that's worth mentioning. as well. So Fraser, um, one of our questions was sort of whether he was a season keeper or whether he, it was time to chuck him. And it's, it's, it's a bit of a dodgy time for Fraser owners because he does have a knock. I think Ben Dwinnery tweeted about Fraser saying that McLeish had said that he'd failed a medical with the Scotland doctors and we had no choice but to send him back. But there's a question here is, is this just another international break injury? Because after the last international break where he had an injury, he came back and he uh, he got an 18 point return. And a lot of people had sold him thinking he wasn't going to play in that Leicester fixture. And then he went and absolutely smashed it. So those that have Fraser are you know, obviously a little bit concerned about this injury, but um, I still think it's worth keeping him and, and watching and waiting, obviously, with him. There's also that risk now with Stanislas, or Stanislaw being back, that he won't start the next fixture with, with the likes of Brooks, who we mentioned, doing very well. He's now scored two goals in, in two, though he looks like he should still be uh, drinking a juice box with his lunch. Looks like a very young guy, doesn't he? Uh, Ryan Fraser, yeah, uh, off Scotland duty again injured. He's joint third midfielders, 48 points, three goals, three assists. A 0.5 million price rise, 6.0. And his ownership has skyrocketed from 4.5% when I owned him on, on my wildcard in game week three to 22.7% now. Uh, he's created more big chances than any other player with eight. He's joint third for chances created behind a Hindu monkey's favourite, uh, Siggy. He's actually on fire at the moment, 23. And David Silva, 22. So how David Silva hasn't performed for you, Nick, is, is an absolute abeyance, really. Mm. Uh, it's great to the chance every 28 minutes and he's a bonus magnet too so the yellow card is the only thing that stood between a mega pascal gross style free bonus point haul uh, versus crystal palace in uh, game week seven 
Uh, David Brooks, you mentioned, is a very tidy player as well. Our designer, Matt, really loves him as a Sheffield United fan. He said they have the most shots in the box amongst Bournemouth uh, midfielders with nine, four big chances, just eight and two for Fraser. And he scored two goals in two games, as you said. So, you know, 5.0 in the cheapo bracket. He looks pretty decent, but, you know, I think Ryan Fraser's assist points potential, I guess, are the two things that kind of draw the eye about Bournemouth. And I think, you know, a 6.0 Fraser maybe is a little bit it, re- reaching peak expensiveness, but, you know, you could still... You still wouldn't criticise someone for bringing him in, I guess. It's definitely um, interesting options in the Bournemouth midfield there. So um, if we move on to the attack now, there's obviously a choice between two players, Josh King and Callum Wilson. I've, I've done a little bit of a comparison of the two, actually, Tom. So both are priced exactly the same price currently at 6.3 and both have actually played the same amount of minutes so far this season with 697. So it's a little bit um, in terms of their sort of price and appearances, you know, it's, it's very even. Um, I think uh, King has the added advantage of being that penalty taker, but has actually made less goal attempts with only 14 so far compared to 20 for Wilson. But Wilson has had um, slightly more chances created. So Wilson's been more of a creator this season with ridiculous seven assists so far. Um, He's um, created 11 chances compared to King's nine. Though King seems to be the crosser within the team. He's made 13 crosses compared to just four by Wilson. Yeah, I hate that feeling when I found the same stats as you. That's what always always makes me laugh. I I mean, yeah, you're right with Wilson. I mean, I looked at the my favourite stat: big chances missed. Like he's top for big chances amongst all strikers, right? With ten, he's missed eight of them. Incredible, really. Like he would be way far and away of a top striker if he could convert those chances, as you said. Like Josh King, he's on penalties. He's had five big chances, and two of them have been penalties. And King is outstatting Wilson. Uh, but one stat really stands out for me over the last four, which is an open play XG of 2.0 for Wilson, King at uh, 0.99. Uh, so with Wilson, you're looking at a striker who's expected to score a goal every other game, uh, which is 19 goals a season, if that were true. So that's a perfect for 6.3. And as you mentioned, Wilson's also a creator, and he's third for big chances created in the entire game at the moment uh, across any position. He's joined with Jose Holabas of early season fame and yellow card shade. So what do you think about Bournemouth then, Nick? What's your kind of view on them? Like, I know you've got Fraser. Like, Is it a team that you're looking to double up on? Would you be advising people to at least have one of them? How do you look at them? I would definitely advise uh, people to at least have, have one of them. You know, they're obviously performing really well. Um, if you take aside the Burnley match, they've been a really exciting team to watch and they've had a prolific attack. Actually, only three attacking players, Sterling, Aguero and Hazard, have actually scored more points so far than Ryan Fraser and Callum Wilson. So, uh, yeah, definitely Bournemouth have been really impressive so far this season. I think there is a case for doubling up. Um, I have been looking at the forwards and whether I can fit them in my team. But uh, yeah, they've still got a good run of fixtures as well. Southampton, like we said, up next in Fulham, United, Newcastle. So I think there is a case for doubling up. Last time we talked about doubling up, they played Burnley next and lost 4-0. So you never know with the likes of Bournemouth if they can sort of maintain the form that they have currently. But at the moment, you know, they're definitely a team to be looking at. People might say that, oh, it might be a bit late to be jumping on Bournemouth. Like The issue is that looking at the teams that they're about to face, uh, they're playing Southampton to a sixth. And Fulham, who are third for in terms of shot con- uh, shots conceded, and uh, Fulham are the side uh, first for shots conceded in the box. Saints are sit for shots conceded in the box. On top of that, uh, so I mentioned the touch in the box data earlier on in terms of um, ha- what Bournemouth's kind of 
key headline stat is. Those two things combined make me kind of think that, yeah, Bournemouth have a good chance of doing well against those teams if we kind of look at the Watford game and think, yeah, there were 10 men. Uh, but the underlying uh, presence seems to be that Bournemouth are actually a fairly good team and, as you said, very exciting going forward. So I guess moving on to Wolves then, we said at the start of the season, FPL stag, could they make the top eight? Like, And it's looked like they really can. I mean, defence is where everyone's looking at the moment and they're equal Liverpool joint bottom for shots in the box can see them 42. Uh, City are the bottom of just 29 and they're joint bottom for big chances conceded with just five, which is the same amount Callum Wilson has created. Wolves and Nick, what are your views on these guys? Well, obviously, I've been quite a big advocate of the defence so far. And um, I've been doubled up with Doherty and Patricio and they've, they've been brilliant for me. So I've naturally I've started by looking at the defence. So if we start with Wolves fixtures, they've got two decent games coming up. They've got Watford at home, then Brighton away. After that, it gets a little bit trickier with Spurs and Arsenal. So it'd be very interesting to see how actually they do against those teams because if they can get clean sheets against the likes of Spurs and Arsenal, then they're definitely season keepers. But um, it's, it's worth actually comparing them a little bit to the likes of Burnley last season who had a similar start, um, only conceding six goals in their first eight and managing three clean sheets. And previously, we've also seen the likes of West Brom, Southampton and Leicester in their title winning season prove themselves as fantastic options at the backs and perhaps a uh, unlikely options at the back and I actually fondly remember Southampton in the 2014-15 season where they only conceded 33 goals in 38 games and I had a double up for the entire season pretty much the entire season uh, that year um, of Bertrand and Fraser Forster which really did well for me. Wolves look like even though they're sort of a promoted club with the with a midfield of Mutino and Neves and the European Championship winner in goal in Patricio they definitely have the uh, potential to sort of be season keepers in the defence, especially Doherty. I'm sure you've you've took you've got some stats on Doherty, but I've also got some stats. Um, but do you want to start? Same ones, to be honest. Yeah, I was just I was just going to say that after the international break as well. Like if people are temp- looking at Tottenham and Arsenal and saying, "Oh, you know, I've got to get rid of those guys," and um, after the international break as well on game week 13 and 14, they've got the fated Huddersfield and Cardiff double up. So who knows? Maybe we'll even be buying Jimenez at that point. But yeah, no, I've got some stats on Doherty as well. Like I mean, in terms of the defence, it's very difficult to look past him at the moment for me I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of people who are looking at him and they've got you know 4.4 4.5 to spend the defender in which case you know I, I can see there's a case you know Johnny for example uh, he's creating a, sh- a chance of having a shot every 18 minutes you've got Bolly who's looking like a bit of a bonus magnet but Doherty is, is kind of the man isn't he uh, joint fifth for chance to create amongst defenders joint fourth uh, with two big chances created and uh, yeah I mean what else have you found on Doherty Nick what else can you dig up to back up the Irish Alonso so, yeah, he, he is really the Irish Alonso being sort of second for goal attempts out of all defenders. He's made 12 goal attempts um, just behind Alonso 16, but he's actually had more penalty box touches than Alonso. He's had 24 penalty box touches, which is more than any other defender and also more than the likes of Sigurdsson, Pogba, Ryan Fraser and Andre Schürrle. So uh, Doherty really seems to have that sort of attacking edge to him. So he's getting clean sheets and he can get attacking returns. So that goal, um, that goal was coming. It wasn't a surprise that he scored um, at the weekend because he's been so attacking. And he's uh, continuing to benefit from rises in true Stephen Ward style. He's now actually 0.3 more expensive than teammate Johnny. So if you don't have enough for Doherty, you can afford Johnny, who's been pretty prolific as well going forward. He's had eight goal attempts scoring once and also had 20 uh, penalty box touches, which is only four less than Doherty. You know, what was interesting was that Doherty is second for shots in the box of 11. Top is Michael Keane of Everton. 
He's had 12 shots. They've all been in the box. Incredible, really. Any fans football scout members out there should compare Doherty with Alonso um, for the, over the course of the season. It's really scary how close they are. Uh, what point per cost value that is for Doherty is absolutely insane. Your man Patricio, Nick, is another interesting one I think that's worth talking about. If we kind of both agree and we both have Doherty, we both had him, I can see why people are just like, oh, I've missed the bus on that one. I think it might be worth, if you can just fit him in, of just jamming him in there and just getting it over with. It's one of those sorts of players at the moment, given the stats. But Patricio is an interesting one. Uh, a key stat for him, Nick, he's second amongst keepers who've played every game uh, with a say, uh, in terms of save percentage, save percentage of 85.3%. Allison's top with 85.7, so not very far behind. And Edison is third and 81.3. And he's faced the second most shots outside the box with 13. Joe Hart is top with 14. So he's a very worthy set and forget. And he serves you quite well, hasn't he, Patricio? Yeah, for sure. I mean, when I saw that he had the £4.5 million uh, valuation, I just jumped straight on that because I thought that was a bargain. I expected him to be priced at 5.0 with his um, international pedigree, but the fact that Wolves were promoted um, team seemed to put them in good stead in terms of the prices. So I was, I was very happy with that £4.5 million valuation, jumped straight on him at the beginning of the season. And uh, yeah, benefiting from him. Just one more thing on Patricia and it before we move on to Jimenez. He rotates very, very well for those mad people who like rotating 4.5 keepers he rotates perfectly with Fabianski between game week 9 and game week 21 so that gives you a home away rotation of Watford at home Brighton away Burnley at home Huddersfield away Huddersfield at home Cardiff away Cardiff at home a Crystal Palace at home Bournemouth at home Watford at home Fulham away Burnley away and Brighton at home that looks pretty good doesn't it the last player I guess to talk about from Wolves is uh, Jimenez He's only 5.6, but he's uh, started every game so far this season. They don't have too many attacking options going forward, but he seems to be the leading man. He's, he's very kindly priced, so he can step in as a third striker. And he has been getting um, assists and, and the occasional goal, a couple of goals so far. And in terms of goal attempts, he's getting plenty of attempts. He's had 24 goal attempts so far, which is only two less than Harry Kane, joint four uh, full forwards. He does look like kind of the main attacking option. He's been involved in 56% of Wolves' goals so far. He's very unselfish. He's prone to a bit of a shocker on the field. I think it was against West Ham when he was played through on goal and fell over his own shoelaces, didn't he? He's uh, had uh, seven big chances missed just behind Wilson. He level with Wilson for chances created. And yeah, he's had a bit of a weird career, uh, Jimenez. He played a lot in his home country, but when he moved Benfica, it was like he was never anything more than a bench option. So there's an argument that he's kind of finding his feet. But he does seem kind of to be essentially very unselfish. So it looks like, you know, for five point, is it 5.7 years now, Nick? I think that's quite a decent option. I mean, at that price, you would, you'd be happy with five points per game, wouldn't you? Yeah, for sure. I think he's a very good value option. Like um, like I said, he's getting plenty of opportunities, getting plenty of um, goal attempts, but he uh, has been a bit you know, rubbish in front of goal. He, he's been snatching at a few of the chances. Um, the Burnley game, there were a couple of instances where he really should have scored. But the main thing is he's getting into the positions. He's got midfield players who are setting him up constantly. And there doesn't seem to be too much competition for the start as well. So, yeah, he's, he's definitely a, an option if you are looking at uh, tripling up on walls or doubling up and, and investing in a cheap attacker. I think he's a, he's a decent option for sure. It's interesting to think that, you know, as assets in of themselves, regardless of who they play for, like having those like you know you've got you've had Patricio and Doherty and other people may have kind of Patricio, Doherty, Bennett and Johnny some combination there we saw that Matt Kearney version the carp on Twitter has had the triple up and that's kind of paid serious dividends the last three there's definitely a case here to look at the double up just in the quality of the team itself and the value of those assets regardless 
of who they're playing for, right? Like the clean sheet potential has got to be pretty damn high for players in that price bracket. And they're going to overperform, I think, that PPC points per cost. And next year, I think that they're going to score very highly, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. I can imagine the likes of him and there's a lot of these Wolves players will be top of our metric next season. But the following season, of course, they'll probably be an extra two million pounds. So we won't be able to afford any of them. So enjoy <laughs> yeah. it whilst it lasts. Exactly. You can imagine Doherty being a 5.5, can't you, next year? Like, definitely. No I mean, if, if PVA is a 5.5, if it continues this sort of form, you'll definitely be a 5.5 at least yeah, I, I think he's probably crossed the threshold already now hasn't he yeah. right uh, shall we move on to the foxes of leicester then so we're moving on to kind of three out of four ain't bad but they've got arsenal that could be an easy game for some people probably not though uh, arsenal away west ham at home cardiff away and burnley at home the next four and the foxes are quite an interesting team as well uh, a fifth from bottom uh, for big chance conceded with 12 level with spurs so their defense is looking quite good going forward though it's a little bit disjointed at times and you know, i saw there's a good article in the, in the leicester Mercury earlier on uh, today about Jamie Vardy for example uh, but looking at the data the players aren't looking too bad are they Nick? There's definitely some options within the Leicester team um, I invested in Madison um, last game week uh, he's on set pieces corners I think he seems to have taken up that mantle of the talisman in midfield as well um, since Mares. um since Mares has obviously moved on to uh, gladder tidings um, and he's showing consistency of returns um, he's you know, relatively active going forward. He's had 17 goal attempts so far, uh, which is the joint highest for Leicester alongside Jamie Vardy. And and talking about Jamie Vardy, I mean, when we looked at points per value last season, he was actually the best value forward last season based on this year's prices. And he netted 20 goals last season. And and after that Arsenal game, Leicester's fixtures are pretty decent. Um, so I think he definitely is an option. Um one of our uh, sort of friends, uh, Tack, he, he uh, actually put the captaincy on Vardy uh, last game week, which uh, didn't work out well. But it was, you know, it was a decent punt. Actually, there was another interesting option that you, you probably aren't expecting, Tom, that I looked at um, in the Leicester attack. Uh, and that's, uh, that's Ian Acho. Oh, yeah. who, Good old um, Nacho. The, the, if had... Aguero scored, we buy him, we buy him. Oh, crap, Aguero's come back. Yeah, believe, <laughs> believe it or not, uh, Ian Acho is actually currently outscoring Jamie Vardy. Um, and it's only priced at 5.9 and has notched up four assists so far, which is just joint second highest for forwards and could potentially be another attacking option, though not necessarily one that we're going to wholeheartedly advocate. No, definitely not. He is reigning African player of the year on my football manager game. Anyway, uh, Jamie Vardy is an interesting one. The next game against Arsenal, I did kind of uh, frame that as a, as maybe a bit of a questionable game. But he has got six goals in six games against them. He scored the second most against them in the Premier League. The first of Liverpool with seven goals. So he does like playing them. And I think there is something about you know uh, just having Jamie Vardy in your team for that sort of that sort of big game. I think we've all kind of had an inkling about it and it's kind of it, just the fact that you know Leicester do like the counter-attack and against those teams where they are at kind of the away side and they are expected to be pinned back uh, then Vardy can make the most of it uh, Vardy as you said um, is, is still looking okay like he's first big chances with seven and he outscored Firmino so he was definitely one of the kind of the bigger attacking threats last season uh, but Madison's probably the one that I'll be looking at like he's going to be up to seven but Leicester's run of fixtures remains very very good indeed 
right? And so uh, after Arsenal, between game weeks 10 and game weeks 15, so over six game weeks, they didn't play any of the teams in the top six last season, uh, which is definitely kind of scope for points during that time frame. And Madison's seventh for chance to create 15. He's actually below Seri at Fulham, who had 16. Uh, looks involved, though, and he's responsible for Leicester being joint third for chances from set plays with six. In defence, you've got Maguire at 5.5, who's maybe a little bit too expensive, uh, but he has had eight shots in the last four games, so he's averaging two shots a game at the moment which is, which is pretty good and also a tip from Stefan and our beloved uh, FPL stag as well uh, Ricardo Pereira 22 pen box touches four goal attempts three in the box I mean that's level for attempts of Shane Duffy uh, almighty Shane Duffy however it is, it's the case that when you watch Leicester play like he's actually genuinely really really involved potentially if he does kind of come to fruition as out of position 5.1 right winger in defence that could be really good value and it could be a case that almost go 4-3-3 or something like that with the Leicester defence, I just don't trust them at all. They seem terrible defensively. We seem to have West Morgan getting himself sent off every other game. They're, they're just they're just not very good defensively. And uh, yeah, I, do, I just don't think it's the right moment to invest in a Leicester defender. But, you know, like I said, someday I, I might do. Yeah, I think the time for West Morgan uh, potentially having a route into the England team is all over, isn't it, really? OK, do you want to take a quick break there, Nick? And then we'll move on to uh, Liverpool in just a second. Yeah, let's take a break. So we're back and it's uh, time to talk about Liverpool. Um, So Liverpool actually have a really decent run of fixtures. They play Huddersfield, Cardiff, then it's Arsenal and then it's Fulham. So they're playing essentially three of the sort of worst teams in the league based on the amount of goals conceded so far. And, uh, you know, Huddersfield and Cardiff have both really struggled so far this season. Fulham as well, after that sort of 5-1 mauling by Arsenal, they look really terrible defensively. So, I mean, if this was pre-season, we'd definitely be talking about doubling up with the Liverpool attack. We'd say Salah was a cert, he's a must-own. Uh, Mane, we'd say, is probably a must-own as well. Or Firmino, one of the two. But I don't feel like we're going to say that, to be honest, considering the last four Premier League games, we've actually only seen two attacking returns in total from Mane, Firmino and Salah. And that's and that's also excluding a very drab performance against Napoli in the Champions League. So it's really five games. So I think the Fab Three just don't seem to be firing. And there seems to be a bit of a vision of division between the bunch. I'm rigidly sticking with Salah and I'm probably going to be captaining him. I did a quick um, sort of comparison of the key stats between game week one to eight this season and and last season. And he's coming out on top actually with a higher XG so far this season with 0.7 goals a game for game week one to eight compared to 0.5 goals a game. He's made more goal attempts and he's actually also had more penalty box touches. So the quality of his final ball, I guess, has been a little bit concerning. And, and this has been obvious for people watching him play. And it's reflected in his shot accuracy, which is only 37.5% for game week one to eight so far this season compared to 53.6% at the same time last season. Yeah, I mean, you only live once, but if someone was uh, kind of coming to Earth, their first impressions of Earth, if it was the FPL community, would be that we talk about Salah the whole time. I'm almost kind of slightly bored of talking about it now to some extent. I mean, as you said, the stats are still very, very good. Top for attempts, 32. Big chances, 8. He's also top for shots off target with 10 and big chances missed with 6 of his 8 big chances. He's gone to the Callum Wilson school of finishing, no doubt. Uh, Liverpool themselves, uh, they're fourth for chances created with 82, a fifth for shots of 115, and fourth for chances in the box of 80. And as, as I mentioned, there's the highest save percentage. But I guess it's trying to disentangle uh, for people. We're not going to attack the most Salah versus others question today. Like You've got your own points by now. You've probably heard a plethora of opinions on it. And I think that you've just got to come to a decision now. We're not going to help you too much. We're going to read off some stats, but that's probably about it. Uh, but I think what's interesting is talking about the 
the defence, Nick, because many people are looking at those kind of next two games particularly and thinking, well, maybe alone one, maybe alone two, and thinking, well, that could be you know 12 points in the bag per game. That could be 24 points over the next two games minimum. I mean, if you look at Robertson, he's only had two shots. Um, if, if you look at TAA, he's only had six. There's no great shakes in terms of attacking threat. I mean, in terms of assist potential, Robertson's third for chance created with 12, second for chance created with four, chance created every 60 minutes, which is which is brilliant. That's worth double digits. I mean, do you think it's worth having somebody else alongside Robertson, or are you going to? I'm I'm sticking just Robertson as just me. Like, do you think it's worth having those kind of that kind of double up just because of how good the pitches are looking? Yeah, I mean the fixtures are really good, and and Liverpool um, just seem sort of very strong defensively so far this season. I think the signing of Van Dijk and uh, the signing of Allison has really shored up that defence, and and I think there is a case for doubling up in the defence. And I would have said obviously Robertson's my favourite. Obviously he seems essential, but I would have said the um, the other one to own is uh, Trent Alexander Arnold. But I feel like there seems to be a bit of a rotation risk now with him. And that's obviously he didn't start the last game. Lovren's now back and. Lovren's obviously going to want to start and play every game and then you've got Joe Gomez who can play as right back and uh, you know in the big games perhaps uh, Joe Gomez will be preferred um, as the right back over TAA and and I guess that's a little bit of a risk for those that are looking to double up and I, I certainly wouldn't waste one of my transfers in terms of getting another Liverpool defender in at this moment in time. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, I think tactically what happened was that with TAA leaving bags of space behind him and Robertson leaving bags of space behind him that Klopp against Man City didn't want to have be able to be attacked from both wings. So I think Klopp probably looked at that and just thought, well, at least I can kind of shore up one wing, which means playing the centre-back, Gomez. I think he is uh, technically a centre-back, or at least that's kind of his preferred position. But uh, as the right-back, kind of a full-back of a defensive remit to kind of the overload on the left-hand side, but at least they've got some kind of solidity elsewhere. Like, he can tuck inside to allow back three and Robertson's bursting forward. And I guess that kind of means that overall, like, you can't really be looking anywhere else apart from maybe Robertson, like BVD, for a long period of time. I mean, he'd had no shots at all, right? So it's looking like kind of Robertson or Boston or hoping that a TAA set piece gets converted. I mean, he got he t- took a corner didn't he, the other day and uh, managed to get 11 points for his own, bearing in mind the fact that Liverpool do have a decent run of fixtures, actually. Like, until game week 17, they, they only play Arsenal of the top six from last uh, last season. When there are Euro- uh, European games, between game weeks 11 and 12, there's a, there's a European fixture, first and 14 European fixture, and 16 and 17 European fixture. So they do have a lot to contend with, a lot of rotation to get through. We may even see the forgotten man, Alberto Marino, who's wanted by Barcelona, Nick, to replace or at least back up Jordi Alba, which I thought was the most hilarious story <laughs> I saw today. I guess moving forward, we're going to talk about it a tiny bit before we not go into it too much. Obviously, Mo Salah, we've both got him. Um, and if you don't have him, I think it's more of an interesting question. Most people who do hold him are going to be looking at those, these next two games and thinking, yeah, you're drinking my last chance saloon. And if he doesn't perform in those two games, he is out on his ear and we're going to I don't know, have a bath with all the money that we've got left over, <laughs> frankly. He's had quite a number of um, transfers out so far, which will cover in market forces. But I just I can't sell him with those fixtures. Obviously, they're, they're not performing at the top at the moment. But, you know, uh, like, um, I, I can't, I'm not going to be... I don't know if I'd buy him either because it probably costs too much. There'd be too much shifting around. And like we said, obviously, the underlying stats are great, but he doesn't seem like he, his finishing's very good so far this season. Just seems a little bit out of sorts. Um, hasn't seemed set like the same Mo Salah that we saw last season. And 
you know, the likes of Shakiri's going to be wanting game time. We've got Daniel Sturridge performing well as well. Klopp's going to potentially look at those fixtures and think, you know, this is the perfect game to to start Shakiri and rest Salah, and that's always you know, a slight risk as well. Yeah, I think so. I mean, now he's got the strength and depth and now you've got a couple of players who are pushing for starts. You're right that if it was me playing football manager, I'd be looking at those fixtures thinking, well, you know, this is a great time to rest my star men. <laughs> Let's hope it doesn't happen. Imagine like the carnage. It'd be all Captain Solari in Huddersfield and he's rested and comes on for the final 10 minutes. But I guess against Southampton last season, you got a brace in the off the bench. So you're still always in with a chance for him. I mean, you've got Mane. The top stat for Mane, as always, is his kind of selfishness and uh, that kind of thing. He's top for offsides amongst all midfielders with 10. And we've got Firmino. He was the second striker du jour for a lot of the season last season. This season, he's had 15 shots left in the box. He's way out of the top five. Uh, but, you know, you, you might be able to back him over the next few weeks and maybe have him as an interesting differential in your team. He's owned by 22% somehow still. Uh, I don't know whether that's just people who own him from last year. I don't know whether that's dead teams. I don't know what that is. Like, Would you be looking at Firmino, Nick, in terms of the striker slots? I think he's definitely an option. Um, there's actually another player at the same price that's probably um, ahead of him in terms of people's picks right now. And it might be a good opportunity to move on and, and talk about Arsenal because the man I'm referring to is, is Lacazette, Tom. So Arsenal, their fixtures are, they're mixed bag, actually. They've got Leicester at home, then they've got Crystal Palace away, then they've got Liverpool at home and then Wolves at home. So, you know, they're not playing... The, the worst teams in the league, but then they're not necessarily playing the best either. I haven't actually owned any Arsenal players at all this season. After that Fulham mauling, that was like the first game of the season where I seriously thought about whether I can actually actually cover Arsenal at all, whether I need an Arsenal player in my team. In defence, you've always got Bellerin, who who remains an option. It's pretty kindly priced, but said it already, but there's better attacking options out there, like Trippier. We are an interesting uh, interesting proposition at the moment. In terms of offensive assets, at least, I- I'm not particularly interested at the moment. Like f- For me, in t- to some extent, like clean sheets are obviously the, the bedrock, like the-, 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 the hygiene factor. But going forward, attacking potential is what I look at. And Bellerin hasn't created very much, uh, neither has Monreal. Bellerin's created four chances, the same as Monreal. He's had five attempts, Bellerin, only three in the box. And I guess he'll be the only one you'd be kind of vaguely looking at with you know I, th- I think just generally we're looking a little bit unconvincing great wins against Fulham and Everton I think you lost your first couple of games but then you've won everyone since so you're sort of equal in terms of points um as us Spurs so yeah a little bit of a rivalry <laughs> again it's, it's a little bit exciting but yeah you, you made some decent points there on the Arsenal defence I think one player that's probably worth a look at if you're feeling a, a bit of a difference perhaps on your wild card is uh Bern Leno with um with Petr Cech I guess um outs um, with a hamstring injury, not necessarily back until the 3rd of November, according to the websites, but whether he actually gets back into the starting 11 is another question. Bern Leno at 4.8 is perhaps a really decent goalkeeping option to have a sort of goalkeeper in a top six um, side at that price. He's a very good set and forget, and if you are on your wild card, he would definitely be an option that I'd be looking at. I'm going to say that, but I think a, a bit of a point that I'd like to make here, just as an Arsenal fan, is that we're seventh from bottom for big chances created. And I think that some of it is due to having no fluency because we haven't got Ertzel in the middle. We're 11th for shots in the box with just 59. Man City have doubled this, 113 for the base, Chelsea with 94 and Spurs with 84. Uh, we're joint with Bournemouth in 10th for the chance creation rate. We only have a chance once every uh, 7.8 minutes. 
Alyssa Ertzel's stats as kind of the key creator. Uh, last season, he created a chance every 28 minutes. This season, it's a chance every 56 minutes. So on a per-game level, it's really hard to affect this being on the wing. I think that's definitely uh, impacting our players. I think um, it's worth mentioning Aaron Ramsey. He's, um, he looks like a, quite a decent differential at the moment. He's only got sort of a ownership of uh, 1.8% at the moment. So I think, uh, you know, he, he's someone that if you are looking to go off template, he's perhaps um, a decent shout in the midfield. Though there has been a little bit of rotation there. Less said about Mkhitaryan, the better, after a lot of people got stung by him earlier on oh. in the season. But um, yeah, up front, obviously, you've got um, two key men. You've got Lacazette and you've got Aubameyang. And uh, Aubameyang smashed it last game week actually even though he didn't start and he was unwell a lot of people sold him and got punished you know he, he hit form finally um obviously you won owned him in the preseason, but um has got rid so you didn't get the points but yeah he's, he's definitely another option up front and then there's Lacazette obviously who's a little bit cheaper than Aubameyang as well so people are finding it easier to fit into their teams and I guess uh, Lacazette had a bit of a stuttering start last season to his uh, sort of Arsenal career but um he seems to be discovering that form um, that he showed in the French league when he played for Lyon and, and scored 28 goals in in 30 appearances yeah, don't forget, I think there was more than 10 of those with penalties, actually. Mm. Um, so he's never gotten over 20 goals a season but penalties. They're an interesting pairing, aren't they? Like Aubameyang and Lacazette. Did a quick comparison of them. Aubameyang's had 16 shots to Lacazette's 19. Uh, damningly, 56% of Aubameyang's shots have been from outside the box. Uh, Lacazette is sit for big chances before, which is the same as Aguero, uh, but uh, Aubameyang has had three. Uh, but both have a shot accuracy of under 50%, uh, which is a little bit worrying considering both of them are fated for being very accurate kind of predator strikers who only take a shot, unlike kind of the archetypal Harry Kane, uh, when they think that they can score. So yeah, under 50% for them is quite scary. And the fact that we are taking not as many shots in the box as uh, a lot of other teams is, is a little bit of a warning sign for me. Aubameyang tops Lacazette for conversion with 16 shots, um, four goals. But Glenn Murray, Nick, a top goal conversion <laughs> on strikers at the moment with 38.5%. Oh, it's quite an interesting one. I guess, uh, well, there's an awkward segue, but let's go with it. I'm talking about uh, a, a few teams who have some good going for them, I suppose. Uh, should we talk about Brighton, Nick, and talk, talk about that lot? Because I guess they've got the best run, haven't they, going forward for amongst a lot of teams. Like I, no I noticed on a couple of metrics of them going around Twitter, uh, they've got the best kind of next six or seven games of, of any of the sides. And you can see it like until game week 17 when they play Chelsea, they play no teams in the top six. Uh, last season. Uh, a difficult game was Everton in game week 11, uh, but maybe it was the case for looking at someone like Murray or someone like Knocker, or of course the goal machine, which is uh, Shane Duffy. Yeah, I know Shane Duffy's um, a favourite of yours, Tom. Um, it was quite famously uh, last season, Duffy and Dunk were sort of right at the top in terms of goal attempts for defenders, but didn't manage a single goal between the two of them. And obviously, um, Dunk, I think he scored about three or four own goals as well. So he was in negative equity and, and still is in negative equity in terms of goals in the Premiership. But yeah, Duffy's um, Duffy seems to be your man, um, doing very well for you. I, I'm not too keen on bringing him in. I, I can't fit him into my team unless I was to upgrade Wan-Bissaka with a little bit of spare cash from um, a Kane to Aguero downgrade. But it's not someone that I'm particularly looking at or interested in taking hits to bring in a Brighton defender at this moment in time. Um, in midfield, you, you mentioned Knockart at 5.5. I think he's he's a very um, decent priced um, midfield enabler. He's another one who had... Um, 
sort of a very tough um, sort of opening season in the Premier League. Had a few personal issues he was going through as well at the time. Um, there's an interesting interview actually. I think he did for either the Guardian or BBC News. It's worth reading at some point if you get a chance. Talking about um, sort of personal issues and sort of mental health is very interesting. But he had a tough opening season after sort of being one of the leading scorers in the Championship, probably the player of the season in the Championship in Brighton's promotion campaign. But he seems to be finding his feet now. Um, He's scored so he's scored one goal so far this season. But it's also had 15 goal attempts, um, which is right up there uh, with top midfielders. Sort of same amount as Richarlison, only two less than Madison. So he, you know he's up there with the other guys who are a little bit you know about a million or 1.5 million more expensive than him. So I think uh, Knockart's um, a really decent shout um, in terms of the midfield. He's very kindly priced at 5.5. And then yeah, and you mentioned Glenn Murray, the the old warhorse. He's he's still <laughs> going. He's he's turning up with the odd goal despite being 35. He seems more dangerous than ever and has managed to somehow amass five goals of the season um, on the slide so far this season and he's had uh, 14 goals in 27 in, in 2018 but unfortunately like a uh, like sort of fellow Englanders, uh, Josh King, Troy Deeney seems to be another one that's been um, overlooked by Southgate for his style of play. Yeah, absolutely unbelievable. I mean, the big warning sign with Brighton are the fact that they're second bottom for attempts with 66. Uh, they're fourth from bottom for chances created for 27. And they're the second lowest, uh, they've got the second lowest minutes per chance with one every 11 minutes and 30 seconds. Uh, so you're looking at a team who's struggling for creativity. Obviously, there's one man they've going to call who is uh, Pascal Gross uh, he's been injured or whatever for a little while left out the team for uh, Ives Basuma um, but I wouldn't be expecting a fireworks from them at the moment I mean 5.5 for Knockett sounds a decent idea uh, I mean Murray yeah we've looked I've looked at him like he looks a little bit better but not a little bit better but on the same level as Wilson uh, but they're just not creating enough and not doing enough going forward to make me think, yeah, no, I definitely need to get cover there. I mean, I did have a look at uh, Duffy to try to big him up, but I find it very, very difficult to do that. I mean, Brighton have the highest cross completion rate, first two percent success, uh, obviously all of them finding Duffy, um, but Duffy's only had four attempts. Um, not so much I can talk about of him, to be honest. He's got 50% goal conversion rate. <laughs> but, I mean, there's only been four shots and he's got two of them. So, uh, just a bit of a legend, really, but not exactly the kind of guy who's going to be setting your team alight week to week. I, mean, I got very lucky with a clean sheet this week by all accounts. Uh, West Ham were looking very, very good for a while on Friday. I don't know how we, how Brighton didn't concede for a lot of the time, but it's, it's a bit annoying, isn't it, that you have a team like this um, that are about to come into good fixtures, I guess. Um I guess we should probably move on to Newcastle. That's a very, very good segue to move on to Newcastle because Newcastle are bottom for attempts with 65. Uh, the second bottom for shots in the box with 43. And uh, the poor to- the poor Toon Army have to wait 11 minutes and 48 seconds in between chances. I don't know, Nick. I don't know if you looked at the data for them, but I found it very, very difficult despite how amazing their fixture run is. I mean, it's seriously a sea of green. Like they, yeah. didn't, they didn't face any uh, top six team until game week 19, which I'm pretty sure is what Christmas. Like it's it's a great run, but they just look so difficult to pick a player from. Like even you know, Kennedy or whatever, there's no stats to back that up. Like how are you looking at that? It's, it's the ultimate fixtures versus form, isn't it? 
Exactly. I think Newcastle have had a really tough run um, in, in the Premier League so far this season. They played very defensively. And as such, there hasn't been um, too much happening in terms of attacking threat. Uh, not much really to talk about. Obviously, um, Kennedy, I guess he's, he's very kindly priced at £4.9 million. He could potentially sit there as a fifth midfielder in your team and uh, could come in for some of the games, um, potentially if you're looking sort of for, for sort of a 3 five, two strategy or something along those lines, he could fit in quite nicely and quite cheaply. But then I still think there's other options, even at that price, which are better, such as um, the aforementioned David Brooks at Bournemouth and Will Hughes at Watford. So I, I don't know. I, I'm not really a big fan of Kennedy. I think he is an option at his price, but not necessarily one I'd be looking at. Um, the likes of Matt Ritchie hasn't really done much um, this season either. He's too expensive at five. 5.9 to truly consider. You've always got um, John Joe Shelby if you want one of your players to get sent off, which he hasn't actually managed so far this season. But you know he's another he's another option. You know oh, we're clutching we're clutching at straws a little bit here, as oh, you can no. probably some tell. Fact, I met John Joe Shelby in Brummers High Street Fish and Chip Shop on the day he got his England cap. Anyway, it's very difficult, isn't it, to find a player here? I guess that you're going to be really looking at. I mean, you've got Kennedy perhaps at 4.9, a little bit of an enabler, despite the fact there's not very much going for him. Maybe Muto will silence the critics. Uh, you know, Jamal Lascelles, he's down to 4.8. He was actually the top 4.5 defender last season with 116 points, and he scored the most non-appearance points of 4.5 defenders with 56. Your man Stephen Ward, 47, and James Tompkins and 46 were behind him in the top uh, in the top three. Uh, Deprav the goalkeeper like I'd be looking at him for ages thinking yeah I might get him in then I realised he was 5.0 and I thought nah I'm not touching him it's a shame that Mitrovic isn't in their team isn't it Nick to be honest I mean uh, just to kind of have a quick diversion here because we were going to talk about Fulham a tiny bit Mitro is one of those who's an interesting one I mean Fulham have got over the next three fixtures a, a nice little run there of Cardiff, Bournemouth and Huddersfield they've got Liverpool after that uh, but Mitrovic is in both of our teams and I think it's just worth kind of talking about him just for a little minute Nick like he's second for shots of 34 he's joint top for shots on target third for big chances uh, received and second to Conegrero with a shot every 21 minutes uh, 15 uh, a shot every 15 minutes for Conegrero amongst strikers like are you going to keep hold of Mitrovic at the moment like the defence is terrible isn't it and things like that but is he a yeah, man? I wouldn't, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go near their defence for sure. They're, they're absolutely terrible um, defensively. But with those fixtures, Cardiff, Bournemouth, Huddersfield up next. Yeah, I've got to stick with Mitrovic, especially when you just mentioned all those underlying stats that I've also got here. Um, that he's um, he's so he seems to be um, so prolific going forward. I mean, he's he's matching Kane and Aguero for goals, which is the the main stat to mention as well, and for half their price. So he, he's definitely a solid pick and the player that I'm going to be holding for the next three games, even though he's, I guess he's been slightly disappointing in the past two and um, with a couple of blanks he's still been um he's still been sort of very very aggressive going forward and I think the only other player that's worth mentioning for Fulham uh, very briefly is uh Andre Scherler he's an, an option in midfield and he's actually surprisingly uh, second for goal attempts amongst all midfielders with 29 so far um though it's also worth mentioning that most of these have come from a long range with only nine inside the box and only 10 of them have been on target but still at 5.9 I think he presents another potential bargain and, and games against the likes of Cardiff Bournemouth Huddersfield could easily be in the points and get some attacking rounds for the next next few games 
Yeah, I mean, if anyone's looking to confirm any biases, uh, over the next three games, they're facing three defences whose numbers are thus. Uh, Cardiff are fourth for shots in the box included with 82, and fifth for big chance included with 17, which is joint with Watford. Bournemouth, a joint third for chances conceded in the middle with 35, which for Mitrovic attacks, which is the same as Huddersfield. And Huddersfield are the fourth for big chances conceded, so there's definitely a lot of mileage. Even if you don't know Mitrovic, looking at him and thinking, well, maybe I'll fit him in for a little bit and then swap somewhere else. I mean, you've got Arnautovic as well, who I'm considering very heavily for my team this week. But yeah, hopefully that's a good little look at all of the different teams which are out there at the moment who are facing a, a good run of fixtures. Like, you know, uh, obviously Watford and West Ham are two uh, teams also who could uh, feature in this. But I think that's an interesting kind of set of teams and it should give us more than enough to go on over the course of the next few weeks. Should we take a break there, Nick? And we'll move on to the features. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so we're back and we're going to go for our features now. This is our regular recurring set of things that we talk about. Market Forces, Zombie League and the All England team. Uh, the first thing we're going to talk about is Market Forces. This is our section where we use our FPL NTI data to describe the movers and shakers in the transfer market. And uh, Nick, you're the man across the numbers. What are you seeing this week? So the most transferred in players so far this game week is the aforementioned Matt Doherty. He's had 270,000 transfers in so far, 272,500 at the time of recording. And I guess that's really unusual, actually, for a defender of his price to be topping the market forces. And I guess it's a testament to his performances so far and the performances of Wolves, both defensively and offensively so far this season. I mean... You know, the guys had um, two assists and a goal in the last four games. And the next couple of fixtures are still quite tasty for Wolves. I mean, we've covered Doherty in a lot of detail. And uh, yeah, it's definitely a player that we're both um, very big advocates for. And, you know, we were beneficiaries of that 15-point return this game week. And the player actually that's been transferred out um, is Holobaz. So he's had over 210,000 transfers out. And I would hazard a guess that the vast majority of those are for Matt Doherty. And there's just masses of frustrated owners. And, you know, obviously he's now suspended, which is the impetus to allow that straight swap to happen. Um, Holabaz um, attracted a lot of owners with 34 points in his first four games. But after that, he only managed to score a single point in the next four and then got himself suspended. And I think Holabaz is one of those players that is actually a great pick. He's on set pieces he's on corners he's creating a lot of crosses often looks very dangerous going forwards but he's the kind of man who will either get you 15 points or minus one because he's a card magnet as well and Watford often concede a lot so despite Watford's decent fixtures because of the suspension Holobaz is being sold heavily Owners have to be between love and hate with him. I mean, a key stat of Holobas, he's had 80 crosses so far this season. That's 20 more than Kieran Trippier. Uh, so he's definitely creating a lot. It's just the case that uh, he's got the most, he thinks he's got the most big chances as well with five big chances uh, amongst the defenders. But yeah, like he's always a bit of a risk in terms of the disciplinary. And we, I think we highlighted, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago that people were buying in Holobas. I think it was based on availability heuristics. He scored a lot of points and people well, like, oh yeah, definitely just get this guy in, definitely just get this guy in, because he scored those of points, yo. Uh, the reality was that he was very close to yellow card, and now that's happened, we're seeing the reaction of people going to Doherty, but I guess the 15-pointer is also a betting that. But second in terms of transfers in so far is um, Lacazette. He's nearly had um, 150,000 transfers. He had over 149,000 at the time of recording. But um, yeah, like I said earlier on in the pod, I've managed with an Arsenal player 
um, without one all season, but he's definitely making a serious case of being in our team. And I think the challenge with him is that you're going to have to sacrifice another one for the premium assets if you do want to fit him in your team, even though with the fantastic forward, which is what we defined them as last week, um, last game week, only one of them actually managed um, an attacking return. And that was Eden Hazard who's also had um, over 148,000 transfers in so far this game week. And I think there's a room on fire every time you watch him. And he has been the runaway player of the season so far. I think everyone would be inclined to agree. Hazard's been showing a sort of level of consistency we've never seen from him before. He now actually has seven goals and three assists to his name in only eight games. And considering he didn't really play much in the first couple, that's that's incredibly impressive. So it'll be very interesting to see if he, he keeps up this um, sort of level form that he's presenting at the moment. Yeah, exactly. I, I think this is the modern age, isn't it, that we're seeing a lot of people shifting around in terms of premium assets. Uh, so you mentioned, obviously, Eden has been brought in. Um, but coming out are, are players like Mo Salah, who's been sold by almost 100,000 people now, uh, and Harry Kane as well, 75,000 almost, uh, who have sold Harry Kane. So it kind of makes sense, doesn't it, that people are looking at last week's scores and thinking, oh, actually... I've got this money to spend. I'm going to move it around and move between these premium assets. If Eden Hazard, it kind of makes sense. With Harry Kane, it's a little bit confusing, isn't it? Because of that amazing record against West Ham, he scored the second most goals against, uh, against them of any Premier League team. But I guess being able to mix and match or something like that is, is what seems to be driving the market sentiment at the moment to some extent. And I guess we can see that as well, Nick, can't we, uh, in, terms of, uh, in terms of the fourth most transferred in player this week? Yes, yeah, so that's Callum Wilson. He's had over 145,000 transfers in. But all those Bournemouth players we mentioned earlier are attracting a lot of new owners. Fraser's actually fifth with 100,000 um, transfers in. And considering we've um, not got actually any Premier League football for another week and a half, this is a classic case of... Um, you know, that danger of making the early move because a lot of people, probably vast majority, got him in before he was actually yellow flagged. And that there is always that risk of that early move. And some people will be feeling a bit sore now after bringing Fraser in and now he seems to be perhaps injured. So there's, like we always say, especially in this sort of game week where you've got a long break, don't don't be hasty and make these early transfers. Have a little bit of patience with your moves. But it seems like, interestingly, Wilson is he's the one who's attracting most of the owners. He's had almost triple the amount that Josh King has. And I think that's quite interesting because I guess this is a classic case of Wilson having scored more points because I think actually I look at Josh King and think, oh, he's on penalties. Perhaps he's the better option. And it's still very much up in the air as to which one is best out of the two. Final one to talk about, Nick. Uh, Lucas Moura and Wolfwood Zahar. Um, Lucas Moura has been sold by 83,000 people and Wolf Zahar has been sold by almost 80,000 people now. And I, th- I think, I guess a lot of people must be kind of moving around these mid-range assets and trying to hit, um, just trying to hit points no matter what it, within that kind of 7.0, 7.5 kind of bracket. Yeah, for sure. I think Wilf Sahar, um, obviously Palace had brilliant fixtures at the start of the season, a really good run of sort of eight opening fixtures. And now it starts to really get tough for them. They've got Everton, Arsenal, Chelsea, Spurs, Man U as their next five. It doesn't get much harder than that. And uh, Zaha still has an ownership of 22%. And I think um, owners probably be slightly disappointed in terms of his attacking return so far. He's He has managed three goals and an assist, which is pretty reasonable, but he's had a, a fluttering of yellow cards, three yellow cards also so far in his um, 
hasn't got any bonus points either. So his biggest sort of a return so far this season, I think, has been seven points against Huddersfield, which is um, you know not not great. So uh, yeah, he's he's been a little bit disappointing for people who I guess who are sort of expecting him to really press on and, and prove himself as the best asset. Um, you know, in that mid price forward bracket, and I think probably you'll see a lot of people that are switching from Zaha to Wilson with um, with Wilson playing so well at the moment. And uh, people doing so hard to King as well, and I guess it's the same with Mora. Uh, he started off the season really well, but hasn't had um, attacking returns in a, in a little while. So people are probably moving their cash around, looking at like sort of Richarlison, who's um, who's had over hundred thousand transfers in, looking at like sort of Siggy as well, um, who's also had ninety seven thousand transfers in so far. Cool. All right. Um, should we move on to the zombies then, Nick? Uh, this is where we check on the progress of our shambling zombies. Uh, in teams run by uh, unspecified family members. This is our no chips, no transfers, no changes team. And I just want to shout out to FPL Singapore and Superstore Man on Reddit uh, for helping identify some newly reanimated zombies this week. So my band hammer came down a little, uh, a little bit. How do zombies do this week, Nick? Yeah, I mean, it was a bit of a zombie-related disaster for me. I mean, it's, it's not hard to explain what went wrong for the team. It was only 37 points. Kane got them one point. Um, and Altovich, one point. I have Mares who who uh, famously skied that penalty. He only managed one point as well. Um, I also had Eric Bailly, who famously was substituted after about 18 minutes in the Newcastle oh, game. Um, and got situation. me zero, zero points, yeah. Um, um, my only returns were actually from David Luiz, who got me six points. And, and Matt Ryan actually finally delivering from goal with a nine-pointer. So maybe um, I'm going to start to see some uh, bright and clean sheets, hopefully, from Ryan um, going forward. Now their um, fixtures improve. But yeah, pretty bad but I heard your zombies did pretty well Tom yeah they did uh, they got 65 points and 46% of those points were scored by Captain Aubameyang uh, who I thought was going to do an Eden Hazard this year and just be absolutely ridiculous but unfortunately that's not quite happened but yeah 30 points for the captaincy is pretty damn decent the reality is that I've had nine men for quite a while I've got KDB I've got Pascal Gross I've got Christian Eriksen I've got Tom Kearney in my midfield so that's four of my midfield who haven't been playing for a little while so I've only got Jota uh, who, who obviously scored a massive three points this week but returns from Edison uh, assists for Young Pereira with seven as for the Quetta and Duffy both getting clean sheets uh, saved the day for sure I've got uh, 65 points uh, the zombie team the, the overall rank isn't worth looking at I'm up to now I've kicked people out of the zombie league Nick I'm in the top 1000 of the zombie league that's definitely a, a, that's a, pretty a, impressive. You might have even have overtaken so me. Uh, <laughs> I'll see how I'm doing. Where am I? So the nightmare on El Nelly Street is actually 671st. So now I'm still thrashing you. No, <laughs> me. It's, it's all Bamian captain versus uh, who's your captain Kane? Didn't Kane or Salah? Salah. Yeah. Oh god. Yeah. The next two weeks you'll be absolutely destroying me on this. Bamian pulls his finger out. So in first at the moment, uh, it's still blue, carefree, uh, 77 points, and he definitely got a little bit of the rub of the green this week. Kennedy off the bench because TAA didn't play. Um, but yeah, seven, seven, seven points, and his zombie team is, uh, yeah, in the top 20k, uh, 16,000 in the world. The zombie team off 770 points, uh, for Blue Carefree, Hazard captain, and uh, England's Josh King, uh, in the team for him. In second, it's uh, Taralyn, uh, who got 94 points this wow. week. Aubameyang captain, so Doherty with 15 points, Josh King, Sigurdsson, all driving that there. 
In third, we've got Ryan Gaunt, Zombie Killers, uh, who got a 70. In fourth, uh, FPL Connor takes a tumble with 57. And in fifth, uh, Zombie Mango, Rob Hayes, also takes a tumble down to fifth. Quick shout out to 38 weeks later, Marino Bruin. Um, he got 97 points this week, which is absolutely ridiculous for a zombie team, to be honest. Uh, clean sheets from uh, from Edison, Mendy, Robert, Robertson, Van Dyke, and Trippier. A five-high defensive stack. Uh, Sigurdsson, Richarlison in the midfield, and the uh, captain of Bamiang and Josh King uh, doing the business for him. Uh, so very well done. Is it, I think it's still interesting, isn't it, just seeing how these kind of teams are going and how far away from our initial start of season perceptions the actual season has taken us. The final thing to talk about is the All England 11, uh, the All England 15, I suppose. It's a bit of a poor week, actually. They're 300k or so last week, so they're level with me. But they've gone down to 842k this week, which shows how fine the margins are at the moment. Uh, 48 points there, just four points off what Fantasy Football Scout would call a solid week on Twitter. No moves were made. Kane C, blank. Sterling, Maddie, Vardy. Blank. But Josh King with an 11-pointer. The Norwegian Callum Wilson got 14. Um, but, you know, we'll take the 11 from Josh King. And then uh, Walker, Bennett and Trippier did some bits at the back. Uh, but there's no bench because TAA and Lingard didn't show. Uh, but, you know, 48 points is still OK. We've got two uh, free transfers and hopefully we'll be able to push our way up soon. Doesn't seem to be... Uh... <laughs> too many prolific assets out there that are sort of knocking on the door so we'll have to think about what we do with those transfers but you know it's a bit bit stop start you know a good week and then a bad week for them at the moment isn't it yeah exactly okay let's take a break by nick and we'll move on to the questions at the end who got the assist who got the assist so we're back and it's uh, time to catch up with the who got the assist mini league and uh, there's not been too much change at the top Top of the league still is Richard Nykvist with Love Street FC. He's had a really good season so far. He's got 67 points this game week, which is uh, pretty decent. He also had the double up um, of Patricio and Doherty in defence um, and had Alonso and Robertson, the likes of Fraser and Hazard, very similar to my team actually now. And he also made the same mistake as me, as in he captained Harry Kane, which... Um, is the only reason he didn't do better, but he is still um, ranked overall rank of 29. Um, and yeah, having a great season, really nice guy on Twitter as well. So yeah, well done, Richard. Uh, but he's got a couple of people on his tail, actually. He's got Ashley Humphrey with Key to My Heart, um, scoring 70 points, only one point behind Richard, another solid team, but uh, Captain Hazard. So, uh, you know, uh, keeping the pace on Richard. We've got um, Kurt Goodwin with the Iron Laddies, had a brilliant score of uh, 91 points, bringing him right up the charts. And he's only on 610 points now, but he's uh, eight points behind Richard in terms of overall rank. Really decent score. You know, Captain Hazard also had Callum Wilson and Doherty um, in his team as well. And then there's a uh, Guy Guy, Vinaldium, Leviosa um, on the same points as Kurt. He scored 85 points this game week. Um, and then you've got uh, Greg Bradford with Electric Guitar. Um, joint on fifth with um, Adrian McKinnon being an out of itch, both on 601 points. Um, just one point behind them as well is Simon Johnson, who also had a really good uh, game week, scoring 94 points. He's now on 600 points, part of the 600 club. So well done, Simon. Yeah, well done, everybody in the top five. And Val Spallata, Richard. Uh, very well done, guys. Um, very interesting to see how that's heating up and how that will develop over the course of the season. Uh, looking at Ashley and Richard, it's looking like a bit of a, a duking there. Uh, but Guy, Guy and Kurt, you know, just seven, eight points behind the top two. Uh, so quite a lot going on and quite a lot of uh, intrigue in the upper echelons. Um, just to move on to a couple of things to mention. Uh, the first is that if you are based in London, 
Uh, we're doing an FPL London Christmas meetup. We and uh, MathSafe FPL, uh, Peter Blake, cordially invite you to this year's Christmas drinks. It's on the 14th of December, which is a Friday. You'll be pleased to know. Well, at 7 p.m. at the Marlebone Sports Bar and Grill, which is just outside the Marlebone Station. And we've also got a room, which I'm christening the FPL Lounge for the uh, for the evening. So um, if you can come, um, definitely send us an email as who got resist um, at gmail.com, obviously. Um, or let me know on Twitter if you're on that. But we're really good to see you and you're very, very good just to chill out. I mean, we were there and this is a nice link to the next thing, which is that always cheating were in London uh, just over the last weekend. Nothing else really happened apart from that. It was just a great weekend all together. And uh, always cheating you know, brought a lot of people um all together in in the pub in Camden on the, on Saturday night, it was just excellent. Like everyone came, and we we're all just FPL people having a chat about the game that we love. And the fun thing to mention is that we're going on the FPL show, aren't we, Nick? On the first of November, we don't know what we're talking about yet, but we amazing to to just go and do it, uh, meet James and Jules, and uh, just be surrogate Southerns for the day. Yeah, no, definitely looking forward to uh, appearing on the FPL show. That's going to be very exciting uh, for both of us uh, to meet James and Jules as well. And yeah, looking forward to the London Xmas meetup. So if you guys um, can make it, then that will be uh, brilliant. Yeah, so we've got a room, as Tom mentioned. Uh, come and join us, come meet us. Um, yeah, we look forward to it. Cool. All right, move on to the questions then. The first question this week is about the Liverpool defensive duo. Um, FPL Prince asks if we're interested in the Liverpool double up at the back. And uh, John Thompson asked about Lovren specifically. Uh, what do you think about this? We've spoken about this a little bit already, this uh, this podcast, in terms of uh, Robertson at least uh, getting our vote. But the double up, Nick, do you think it's worthwhile? Would you do it? I think there's a case for the double up. Robertson, for me, is looking essential. I think you could potentially double up with um, TAA, um, who's looked pretty deadly on the set pieces. But as I said, you know, with Lovren now um, looking fit, did very very well in the Manchester City game, going to be competing for starts. You've got Joe Gomez, who can play as a right back. There seems to be a fair bit of rotation risk now, actually, in that Liverpool defence. And um, it seems that perhaps only Robertson and Van Dyke can be assured of starts. Also, I think this is, as I said as well, this is a very crowded market. So to double up on Liverpool defence, you'd have to sacrifice perhaps another premium defender, perhaps Alonso. And um, I'm definitely not sacrificing Alonso. I don't know if you, you think uh, it's worth doing a double up and who, who you'd sacrifice in your team to, to fit another Liverpool defender in, Tom. No, I mean, I've got uh, Alonso, Robertson, Doherty, Duffy and Wan-Bissaka and Duffy and bissaka are anchored to that bench. Um, and I think those, those kind of three, uh, Alonso, Doherty and Robertson at the moment, just seem pretty pretty settled. Like they're going to be consistent. They're going to keep scoring points over the course of the season. Uh, having Liverpool double up, the only thing I'd be looking at doing maybe moving Edison out for Alisson. Um, just because I'd be thinking, well, Edison was there because over the he's got me four clean sheets in a row. But he'd been there for that amazing run of fixtures. So maybe I'll swap him for a Liverpool. Now they're running into a fairly decent kind of purple pack. In terms of Lovren, I don't think he's nailed. I think that that would definitely be the abiding factor about him. If you're looking at have a Wolves player there, you could have uh, a Duffy, you could have a, have a, a Lascelles almost from, from Newcastle there. I'm not sure whether that is value for money to have a player who you'd be every week worrying about the rotation. I think that Gomez is going to get a lot of game time with Lovren and they're going to rotate alongside the fixtures sort of thing. And TAA is probably in possession of that right-back slot. Um, so for me, I, I just don't think it's worth looking at Lovren. And having Liverpool double-up is probably good, but it's one of those things that's... It's almost don't buy, don't sell. Like, if you 
do want to have that Allison and goal, that might be worth a look. But other than that, I think having Robertson's the key asset. And if you have TAA already, maybe have but keep definitely keep hold. But I wouldn't be looking at buying him in. Shall we move on to the next question then? Then this this is a question for me actually. It seems, um, and it's about Harry Kane and uh, Carthick and Raul and FPL Lonesome have asked, what do we do uh, with Kane? So. Obviously, I transferred him in this game week and he scored us one point. I felt so down. I was walking for miles. At the moment, in terms of keeping Kane or getting rid of him, I'm I'm between love and hate um, on him right now. It it is a tough one. There you go, Tom. Um, I think with the Aguero ownership, not having Aguero for that home match against Burnley is, is pretty scary. However, it isn't like Kane has a bad fixture. We know that he's performed well in the past in those London derbies, and you certainly will be up for the game. I've also mentioned um, on the last uh, pod about how Kane will deliver you 90 minutes, whilst Aguero will no doubt be hooked early around the 60-minute mark. However, the other problem with Kane this season is he, he appears to be playing a more withdrawn role this season. This was actually highlighted in his play against Cardiff on Match of the Day. And I did have a little quick look at his heat map uh, for game week one to eight from last season compared to game week one to eight this season. And it's actually quite evident that especially around the penalty box and in the penalty box, Kane isn't as active as he was last season he's had less goal attempts he's certainly looking a lot less prolific and uh after the west ham game as well spurs fixtures uh you know they're okay i guess they got manchester city which is obviously a really tough game then it's wolves crystal palace and then chelsea so it's not the best run for spurs it'll be a case of do i keep kane for this week or if i've got a spare transfer lurking around still at the end of the international break because i haven't got any other fires to put out perhaps i'll just do a swap for Aguero and get Aguero in for that Burnley game. Yeah, no, I can understand that. It's uh, That was kind of what, why I didn't do it, because I was just thinking, well, I'm going to want Aguero by the end. Um, quick shout-out here to Barnaby Jones, who triple-captained Kane, and also a shout-out uh, to uh, Adam Efferson, who triple-captained Arnautovic. Uh, this last game we just gone, so a couple of examples there of when taking the punt doesn't quite pay off. Moving on there, Nick. Uh, the differential power uh, FPL centre who's going to appear on this podcast very very soon game week 14 look forward to him if you give, give him a follow on Twitter he's at FPL centre um, he asks how many differentials should chasers be looking to incorporate into our teams and Ida uh, Ida Main also asks uh, about that at the end of the day differentials you, you're always looking to them to fire you up the ranks aren't you but I guess the question is, how many should we be looking at? And should we be placing, you know, talk about a scarcity heuristic with Simon March. Like, to what extent should we be favouring differentials? Or should we just be templating up at this point? I think there's a lot of risk in, in favouring the differential, especially when you're chasing. You saw it last season, Tom. You always... So you, you're always kind of a little bit behind um, the rest of us well, for the entire season. And then you had an opportunity to sort of catch up at the end of the season as well. But you made some gambles and you went for those differentials over those players that perhaps you should have been investing. You, you took that chance on Alexis Sanchez, despite the fact he was out of form. And I think, um, but then I think there are other differentials out there. The likes of KDB, Ali and Ericsson are all injured at the moment, but they'll be returning very soon. So it might be worth getting on those guys early before they start sort of being owned by the masses. Ramsey as well, another little differential, only 1.8% ownership. And then there's also Gilfie Sigurdsson, who's been smashing it. And obviously I sold him 
stupidly and he's since then um, since then he's got a 14 point and um, a 10 pointer and he's he got mentioned in the market forces but his ownership's still 3.9 percent so there's a few people out there that can be really decent differentials that are going to give you a little boost and uh, get you climbing up the ranks um you know against those people i mean i i probably could have looked at a better differential than Madison, who I put in my team last last game week, and obviously um, he blanked. And I could have perhaps looked at a, a different differential, considering a lot of the top um, 10, 20k own um, own Madison at this, at this time. Yeah, I think from from my perspective, like I know what you mean, though. But where you were with Madison, it kind of made sense to do that. Like, it kind of made sense to buy in the player who was looking like he's got good pictures coming up. You can't really um, you can't really argue with that. I think for me, the reality is that from last year, what I learned, I was down the millions at this point. I was having a very difficult season. Like, you know, I was uh, exposed to the Twitter fire hose for the first time and just having all these ideas and it kind of led to paralysis almost. Whereas just making obvious moves and just templating up can definitely help you a lot. Like, because of the fact is that a lot of people who are above you, like, are those people, especially at this stage of the season, who aren't, like, FPL veterans. They're not people who are playing the game like you are, like, looking at Twitter, like, listening to podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. There are people who are just kind of just sailing through and having the template and having players in that. The template's them for a reason. Um, and a lot of the time, just doing that means that, like, your mini league, if you're focused on that, that's a little bit of a different story. Um, but in terms of just your overall rank, just having template players is is very useful in terms of getting you to a position in order to strike upwards. Like last season over Christmas, I got to 200k. I ended up at 300k. Like, that's my worst ever finish in terms of being serious. But I got up to 200k just through making obvious moves, buying template players, like buying players who other players had. So Matt Doherty, for example, we spoke about him a fair bit, but he would be a player that I'd just be looking at thinking, well, I'm just going to buy him in. Because if you look around, like if you look around your mini leagues, you're going to see there's a lot of people who don't have that sort of player because I've never heard of him. He's not famous, right? So if they're looking through for a defender, they're not going to look at this guy. They're going to be thinking, well, unless he gets a really high score, you know, like a, a Stephen Ward kind of thing. Like they're not going to be thinking of buying him in, probably. So having players like that, the FL community spots very early, are players that are worth buying in and worth players who are worth your time. They will lead you to being at least in an okay position, and then you can uh, then you can make something of it. Now the final question, Sweet Nick, is also kind of pertains to you a little bit. It's the end of Obi Wan. Uh, is he going to be struck down? and made in something more powerful than you could ever imagine, Darth. Uh, Brad Francis asks whether we keep or remove Obi-Wan Bissaka. And you've been saying for a while, Nick, uh, in our Slack, that you've been thinking about getting rid of him and moving him on. And you're a good person to ask about this question. Well, I mentioned um, Crystal Palace's fixtures when I talked about Wilf Saha during um, Market Forces. And yeah, Everton up next, which is, you know, okay, I guess. But then after that, it's Arsenal, Chelsea, Spurs, Man U. So you're not going to be wanting to play this guy in any of those fixtures. So he is just going to be rotting on your bench if you do um, do keep him. So there's no point. Um, I don't necessarily think there's a place for him in my team at this moment in time, especially when we, we talked about all these other defenders that are performing better. And, you know, there's the likes of Bennett, for instance. I could, be, you know, I could triple up on Wolves. And if I didn't have two Wolves defenders... Already, I'd certainly be looking at Bennett as a straight swap um, from Wambasaka to Bennett, considering Bennett's, um, I think he's even cheaper than Wambasaka is now, considering Wambasaka's had a, a couple of price rises. I mean, it depends. I could upgrade him as well to the likes of Duffy if I was thinking about a little bit more strength in terms of rotation on my defence, because I do have 
um, I am playing a 4-4-2 and, you know, the rest of my bench is pretty crappy. I mean, I've got Hoberg and uh, Success and I can't see any of those guys being decent um, options on the bench as well. So maybe I'd want to upgrade um, Wan-Bissaka to the likes of Duffy, who is likely to perhaps get a few um, clean sheets in his next fixtures or maybe even a sacking return. So it's a possibility that I am going to get rid of him. Um, Wambasaka, maybe upgrade him if, if I do sell Kane and get Kun in because it gives me a little bit more free cash to spend. But it's certainly not, I've only got one free transfer for this international break and it's not worth a hit for me because it's not necessarily, it's going to be sort of, you know, a tidy up of the bench. And the great thing about Wambasaka is he has been really good this season. He, you know, he's got lots of bonus points. He's He's got a few clean sheets. He's, um, you know, looks quite exciting to watch. And he was very cheap as in he was only 4.0. And, you know, when you're talking about points of value, you don't get much better than Wan-Bissaka, a, a player that we only spent four million on, um, who's getting us um, plenty of uh, returns and uh, is an option from the bench. But yeah, with the fixtures, I'm not looking too good for Palace. You know, there is an argument for getting rid of him. Yeah, there definitely is. I mean, for me, you made the argument last week that with him, you're spending zero million effectively. I think that that's definitely the abiding factor. It's, it's only, it feels like a bit of a luxury transfer almost to be messed around with him because he's basically what, you know, second, third, maybe first bench at some point in the season. Uh, I can't really see the case for getting rid of him. Like, my eye is always drawn to, I mean, the immediate set of fixtures are absolutely atrocious. And that's great because he's a 4.0 player. Like, you've spent the minimum amount on that player. Um, and you can have him just sat on your bench. But between game weeks, you know, 14, 15 and 16, uh, game week 14 is on the Saturday, game week 15 is on the Tuesday, game week 16 is on the Saturday. But he's got three decent fixtures. He's got, he's got Burnley, Brighton and West Ham. Game week 17, he's then got Leicester. Because in that kind of group of fixtures, it's very good to have that guy coming off the bench. Like over Christmas as well, like between game weeks 19 and 22, uh, they play Cardiff, uh, play Chelsea, Wolves and then uh, Watford over the Christmas period. So he's just one of those players that you just hold him for the season. Like just ignore him. Like the fact you've got him is great. Like if he's got a good fixture, play him. If he doesn't, well, just have him on your bench. You've effectively spent your zero million. I mean, effectively. And I think that that's a, a decent player to have. And unless you, there's a compelling case, I don't know, to buy Pereira or something like that and play four or five at the back. He's the ideal sub. He's the ideal bench fodder. And I just, I just can't see there's any case to get rid of that guy. I really, I, I, I really can't. Um, Sorry if I've just uh, absolutely smashed you there. I don't, I don't mean to. I don't think you've smashed me in the slightest, Tom. You know, I've got my viewpoint. You've got yours. I think in the next five or so fixtures, I'm not going to want to play a guy who's probably going to be um, playing for a team who's going to concede three, four goals, maybe even get a yellow card and get zero points off the bench if um, the likes of Fraser doesn't play. So, you know, um, there's an argument here and there, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Yeah, no, that makes sense. I just think that he's always going to be sitting second, third bench or whatever for me. So there's very low chance he's going to come on anyway. So you might as well just hold him for that and take price falls, price rise. He's always going to play for Crystal Palace, I think, at this point. Those are the ends of the questions. Let's move on to the transfers and captains this week then, Nick. What are you doing and who is your captain going to be? So, yeah, I'm, I'm backing Salah. I think I'm going to be putting on him. He's got the fixture. He's playing Huddersfield away. The talk is that he's out of form. He's out of sorts. He's, he's not the same Salah as last season. But I think this is um, the perfect fixture for him to prove 
uh, that he is still that same seller and he can smash it still. And hopefully he does. Liverpool have had some really tough fixtures. Um, they played the likes of Chelsea, they played the likes of Manchester City, Spurs. Yeah, and now and now their run is improving a lot. And uh, yeah, I'm hoping that the uh, the old seller returns. But he's going to be my captain pick in terms of transfers. You know, I think if I make a transfer, which I probably will. It, it, it's likely to be the Kane couldn't switch through, and I, I jump back to Kane, uh, back to Kurt even. Yeah, no, it definitely makes sense. And I think the Burnley have definitely uh, given me enough encouragement in terms of their defensive stats to make me think I'm going to captain Kuniguri and hope in the 60 minutes that he does play, he's going to do something. I don't know whether it's worth captaining Salah yet. I think I'm happy to hold him, happy to have him. I'm, I'm just not sure that I'm going to be happy to give him the captain's armband like watching Liverpool he is the least worst of the of the fab three but there's not enough yet for me to think yeah I've got to captain this guy I kind of feel like having Conaguero as my captain is, is a safe a safe pick but like, I'm happy with getting six points for my captain frankly yeah and I think, I think there's, a bit of, there's a bit of FOMO there in terms of <laughs> Aguero yeah, and you yeah. missed out obviously in game week two when he, he sort of smashed out Huddersfield and I just I can't I can't allow myself to be exposed to a similar incident yeah ever. yeah i mean that, that's that's also the same reasoning why i why i would have bought kane i just didn't do it and um, in terms of transfers i'm not sure yet i'm thinking i'm going to remove a uh, camera who's my third striker get rid of him put an alcevich in there and uh, get rid of walcott gotta get rid of walcott sorry monkey and uh, and uh, and put a 4.4 in who i need to to make it all work very masuaku or something like that but I think that having the front three of Kun, Mitrovic and Altovic is actually pretty decent. I think that, that might stand me in good stead over the next four. Well, there's a theme every week. Uh, last week was Austin Powers. FPL Moron got there first. Uh, this week, uh, the theme has already been got by people on the live stream. But please let us know what you think the theme is. And I hope you've uh, just about got there uh, this week. Yeah, congratulations uh, to um, FPL Chancer. I think he was the first to, to get it. So. <laughs> Well done, Dan. Right, just so who we are again, we are Who Got This You can find us online at whogotthis.com and find us on Twitter at WTA underscore FPL. Yep, and if you want to join our league, our league code is 516-441. Um, we'll see you after the international break. So thanks for listening and thanks for all the guys who've uh, joined us live and um, have got involved in the chat as well. Yeah, it's been a unique experience. Uh, I think we both enjoyed it. How often we do this is another question, but yeah, it's, it's been fun, guys. Yep, and uh, next week we'll be joined by Pep, who is the Football Index Guide and the proprietor of the Figcast next week. You can find him on Twitter at underscore FI Guide, and he is probably the best entry point if you're interested in investing in Football Index, uh, 18 plus, of course. Okay, guys, hope this is you, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.